0: You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Chris. We haven't met and uh, glad that you're here. Uh, my wife, Emily, and I uh, lived in Fresno for about five years. Uh, years with our two kids, Keely and Isaac. And uh, we, uh, for a while, were checking the weather app, and then we just stopped during the summer. We just stopped uh, checking the weather app because it was just like, what's today? A million, okay? What's tomorrow? A million. What's the next day? A million. So we just stopped checking. And then we moved here to Seal Beach and, you know, it's 68. What's tomorrow? 68. What's the next day? Uh, It's 69. So we just stopped checking the weather altogether. And what's funny is that in Fresno, um, we used to actually talk about the weather together, uh, you know, and it was a novel thing. Like, man, it's 68 degrees today. Isn't it a nice day? But what's funny is that when I moved here to Seal Beach, we still do that. Isn't it a nice day in Seal Beach? Of course it is. Yes, it's a nice day every day in Seal Beach. We're so lucky to live here, right? But I've done this thing where I've Packed on this little, um, you know, oh, it's a nice day, Pastor Chris. Yes, that's how you know that God loves us, which, um, you know, is supposed to be funny, but it sort of, um, you know, infers that the people in Fresno, God does not love them. (laughs) God does not love you. I'm sorry. The the comment is is meant to be a harmless mistake, but it it reveals, I think, a a profound theological distortion that we all uh, buy into believing, uh, at least sometimes in our life uh, with the Lord. And it's this, that when life is good, God is present and for us. But when life is bad, God is uh, absent and against us. We fall into that trap, um, that line of thinking. This, as we we learned last week, was a guy named Asaph's problem in uh, Psalm 73 when he compared or envied uh, uh, his life and put him up against the lives of other people that their life was going seemingly well. And... um, This train of thought was also uh, present for a guy named Gideon, an Old Testament guy that's recorded in Judges 6 through 8. And so we're going to continue in our series on doubt uh, today. We're going to press pause on Psalm 73 just for one week, and we're going to look into the life of Gideon together. Um, This was a guy who was filled with doubts, but as was just read, uh, he was commended for his faith in Hebrews 11. Um, And my question is, how did he get there? How did he um, get there? How did, how did God transform this person's doubts into faith? And as we're on a journey in studying doubt together, what's God's uh, his disposition toward those who doubt him? Well, I hope that we can uh, answer those couple questions together. So if you have your Bible today or your app, uh, why don't you turn to Judges 6, Judges chapter 6. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and somebody will lovingly get up and and get you a Bible. I nominate Ilya. So if if you need a Bible, then raise your hand and Ilya will get you a Bible. Bill needs a Bible up here. So there's Bibles back there, Ilya, and run it to our brother. I can't take us through every single part of uh, Gideon's story in Judges 6 through 8. Um, And so I'm going to just. Kind of pick out a few uh, portions that, that might be relevant. Um, I would encourage you to read the whole passage when you have time this week, because I think you'll be struck by God's um, faithfulness to his people, his provision, and his, his loving kindness to them. So I'm going to give us a high-level flyover, and we're going to see what we can take away uh, together. We're introduced to Gideon at the beginning of um, Judges 6, and Israel is in a really bad spot. See, for seven years, Israel had been um, overwhelmed and oppressed by another foreign nation called Midian, a people group that the Bible describes that were like locusts in number, that you couldn't even count them. They were like sands on the seashore. For seven years, uh, the Israelites were starving because whenever they would try to plant crops in Israel, the Midianites would come and they would um, steal all their crops, steal all of their livestock, like ancient farming tools and steal everything, laying waste to the land of Israel. For seven years, uh, the Israelites resorted to hiding that for safety and security reasons, they'd go up to the mountains and they'd find little caves and dens in the side of the mountain to shelter themselves from the Midianites. And what this did was render um, the Israelites totally powerless, weak, and brought very low because of Midian. I don't know about you, but if we were um, here in America, if we were oppressed by a foreign country, if we were physically starved because that country had taken away all of our food and provisions, if I had to hide my family up in the Glendora Mountains uh, for safety and security, and I couldn't change that situation, we couldn't change that situation for seven whole years, thoughts of God being absent and against us, for me at least, wouldn't be super far-fetched. They weren't for Gideon. Look at what Gideon says to the angel of the Lord that visited him one day in, in verse 12. Check out verse 12 of Judges 6. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Man, it wouldn't feel difficult uh, to fall into trap to thinking that when life is going well, that God is present and for us, right? But when life is going badly, God must be absent and against us. Israel's situation was, was really dire. This yearly in invasion by uh, Midian threatened to completely wipe God's people off the face of the earth. And and I've tried to approach this text with with some sort of intellectual honesty, not comparing us to the situation because our relative standard of living here in Southern California, this feels like an unthinkable situation to me. And we couldn't even start to read ourselves into this text. But we might be able to identify in smaller ways, right? Maybe you feel overwhelmed in your life Um, by unwelcome thoughts, by feelings, by situations of your life that are so numerous and oppressive that you cannot get your head above water. Maybe you're starved in some way, starved for friendship or starved for peace, starved for rest, starved for, for some of us, physical uh, relief uh, from a physical ailment. Maybe you've uh, resorted to hiding um, in some area of your life. And you feel like that no one else can be let in uh, to the cave that you've isolated yourself in. This all has, has brought up feelings maybe of, of powerlessness to change and you're weakened and your, your mind and your body and your soul. And I wonder if those things, if you're feeling that way, have caused you to doubt. Especially in the last couple years that we've been through, are there areas that have subtly or not so subtly crept into your life that would cause you to doubt? You wonder if God is with you. You wonder if he's busy doing something else. We sing a lot of songs every week about God being good. The Lord is good to us. But maybe for you week after week, it's, it's, it's hard to, to blurt those words out. This reality for Israel of being oppressed and starved and forced to hide, powerless to change and weakened was where doubt for them started to creep in, right? Doubt that God was still with them. Doubt that God would help them out and doubt that God was even good. But by the grace of God, Gideon is assured that God would be with him. Remember, God said, God said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And then if you look in, oh, there's our kids. We need to pray for them. Look at the assurance and the promise Gideon is given in in, in verse 16. Check out verse 16. The Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And then skipping to verse 23, the Lord says to Gideon, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Friends, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, I can assure us that God is still with you. That God's still with you. No matter what your life might look like, now and in the future. And just like God promised uh, that Gideon would strike down the Midianites as one man, God also promises an abundance of grace to us and the free gift of righteousness through one man, Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 5.17 says. And we like Gideon are given peace through believing in him, which results in eternal life spent with him forever. See, God was with Gideon. God gave Gideon his word. God gave Gideon a sign and God extended peace to Gideon. But doubt would still arise in Gideon's heart. And my question is, why? Why did doubt arise? Well, it's because the enemy started to come close. Midian came near. They set up their camp right near uh, Israel. And I find it interesting that that for me is when doubt starts to kick in in my life, when I feel threatened when I feel like I have an enemy that's coming close. This is true for Gideon when the Midianites set up their camp. Look at what Gideon did in verse 36 in light of that. In verse 36 of of Judges 6, it says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said... Behold, I'm laying out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone, and it's dry in the ground, then I shall know that you will will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And and it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. God. I know you've already shown up in my life. I know that you've assured me of your presence. I know that you've already assured me that the victory will be mine and I can have peace about it. But listen, can you just give me one more sign? Can you give me one more sign? Gideon and the fleece is, is a part that we, we remember about his story. I think the most often, it's what's told the most often. I can remember um, as a kid being in Sunday school, the teacher had a flannel graph, which is like a sticky board with stuff on it. And, and, and she would stick Gideon's fleece and tell us the story uh, about this. And much of Christian culture... Um, in, in the past recent years have been focused on this fleece suggesting that it should be the normative experience for us as Christians, that we should lay out fleeces for the Lord. I'd like to suggest that, that um, humbly that, that Gideon asking for another sign in this fleece indicates doubt in his life. Doubting what God had already promised to do. Doubting that God is going to make good on his promises. And we fall trap when we're not careful of that similar behavior when we're desperate for answers, right? I find that, that every falling leaf or every shifting wind, every time that maybe the rain fell in the summer or every time that I got chills would be a sign that, that somehow God was directing me in my life. And it's easy that we become consumed with seeking these types of signs when we're desperate for answers, right? When doubt starts to creep into my life and I feel feel threatened, or there's something in my life that doesn't, um, it it seems to run contrary with what God has revealed in his word. Maybe even um, what we're going to sing later in the service, that song says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, I tend to grasp at whatever I can rather than running to the one who made an end to all my sin. There's a rap group, um, a Christian rap group called Beautiful Eulogy that that came out with this song a few years ago. One of their MCs, Odd Thomas, when they were speaking about this concept in in a song called Symbols and Signs, one of the the, the lyrics that that I think is helpful, Odd Thomas says, listen, I'm going to give you a sign that's obvious. One of the most supernatural acts is that God through his word has actually revealed everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's this idea that an individual is somehow more spiritual when he takes what's normally invisible and makes it simple. But I say that the mark of a mature man is the one who reads God's word and understands and allows that to govern his decisions and perspective plans. See, grasping at signs was for a group of religious leaders recorded in Matthew 12. That's what they were after. And Jesus said to them, listen, the only sign that you need is the sign of, of the prophet Jonah, that he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. And so the son of man would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Meaning... That the only sign that we need, that God has shown up in our lives, that his presence is with us, that the victory will be ours and that we could live in peace is Christ's death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7 or Matthew 12. Remember 2 Corinthians 1, where it says, for all the promises of God, find their yes in Jesus Christ. And so we utter our amen to to the Lord for his glory. Well, with that said, what, what does Gideon do next? Look at verse 39. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, God, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request, all right? Allow me one more test with this fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and, and and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry, and all the ground was covered with dew. Man, I, I tell you, the more I read it, it's like the more embarrassing it is to read. You know, Gideon, do you need another sign? Gosh, will you just dug on it? Just believe God, homeboy. You know, all this doubting, I mean, it's easy for me to say, right? There's like 120,000 Midianites just at my, my, my front door. But all this doubting in this passage has caused me to, to wonder, what's God's disposition toward us when we doubt? When we doubt him? What is his attitude? Is he silent? Does he applaud Gideon? Yeah, good job for your doubts, Gideon. Is he harsh? Is he angry? No. He's full of grace. He's full of grace. God graciously confirms that he'll be with Gideon, not once, not twice, but over and over and over and over time and time again. He welcomes Gideon's doubt and meets him there in it. As I was studying this week, um, one commentator, Pastor Ralph, uh, uh, Dale Ralph Davis was, I thought, really insightful when he said that God is not ashamed to stoop down and reassure us in our fears. God doesn't mind humbling himself to bolster our fragile faith or our, our wavering grip on his word. He's so eager to do just that that he's provided a table instead of a threshing floor and bread and wine instead of a fleece. I, I love that. And I love that God has, has placed these, these, these instances of doubt um, in the Bible like this, like Psalm 73 and like Gideon's story. It, it really has reminded me this week of of Thomas, um, one of Jesus' disciples, um, who, who his name became synonymous with doubt. We called him Doubting Thomas, right? And that's because he, when, when the disciples had come and said, hey, Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen from the dead. Thomas was like, hey, I don't believe it. Until I see the nail marks in his, in his hands, and I stick my finger in his side, then I'm gonna believe. But what happened with Thomas? What did Jesus do? Jesus, full of grace, appeared to Thomas, met him in his doubt, and then transformed his doubt into faith, right? And God does the same for us, that he meets us in our doubts and then transforms our doubts into faith, and we see here that, that God does the same with Gideon. Even when Gideon doubted God, God gave, gave Gideon grace as he transformed his doubts into faith. And so let's find out how he did that. Look at, turn, flip over to um, Judges 7 now. Judges 7. In verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, Listen, man, you have too many uh, men, I can't deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me and say, My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remain. Here's what's going on Israel has an army of 32,000 people, and God says, Gideon, it's too big. It's too big. If you guys won, you would say, we did it, hooray for us. Okay, so I need to thin out your army. So you guys, listen, go and ask if anybody's scared. All right, guys, hey, there's 120,000 Midianites just down the hill and we've got 32,000. Anybody scared? 22,000 guys. I'm scared. Okay, great. Everybody raising your hand. Go ahead and go home. You can go back to your family. And then there's 10,000 guys left going, I should have raised my hand. I should have raised my hand. It's probably because of my lack of piety. But when I encounter somebody who's experiencing doubts, my gut reaction is to build them up. Okay, attaboy, Gideon, you're doing great. You know, I know there's like 120,000 of them, but there's 32,000 of you and you're looking strong and handsome too. I mean, you guys are really handsome. (laughs) But God does the exact opposite in this instance, right? Of transforming Gideon's doubt into faith. He puts Israel in a situation where they can no longer rely on themselves, but on God alone. So Gideon's army was thinned from 32,000 to 10,000 men. And look at verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out even more for you there. So Gideon, here's what he does. He he takes them 10,000 men down to the water and God says, Gideon, there's gonna be, uh, I want you to give them a drink. Take these 10,000 guys, give them a drink, but you're going to notice that there's going to be a couple different drinking methods in place, okay? There's going to be some guys, I'm going to do this, who are going to kneel all the way down. They're going to drink straight out of the river, right? And then there's going to be some guys, and they're going to go like this, and they're going to cup their hand, and then they're going to lap it up like a dog like this. And I want all the lappers, all right? I want the lappers. I don't want the kneelers. I want the lappers. My question is, why? 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 A lot of commentators have said well it's because the lappers they they kind of were aware that there was a there was a battle right well I don't know, it seems pretty arbitrary, right? It's like, it's like if, if, if we were to pick out some new leadership here at Grace. You know, we need some new deacons and we're gonna hold a dinner. And, um, you know, we've noticed that some of you uh, have uh, used your fork with your right hand and some of you have used your fork with your left hand. And we want all the left-handed people. So um, you're all leaders, people with the right hand, Sorry try again. I mean, the the point of this isn't the way um, that God thinned it out. The point is, is that Israel would rely solely on the Lord and not on themselves. God thins them out, 32,000, 10,000, and down to 300. Look at verse eight. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, 9,700 guys, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. They're close. They're right there. 300 men against an army of 120,000 people right below them. A scenario that would be terrifying. That There's no way on your own strength that you could win. And a test of faith, a leap of faith that Gideon is taking. And I would argue that that test is the essential ingredient for transforming Gideon's doubt into faith. It's the essential ingredient. And our faith is no different. At some point... We have to let go of anything that would tempt us into thinking that our own hand had saved us, right? Our own righteousness, our own intellect, our own family of origin, our own works, our own talent, our own influence. Kurt led us off this morning with Ephesians 2. It's for by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your own works, or we would go around boasting about it. Listen, does, does every doubt of yours, when, when, does, does every one of your doubts go away um, through belief in Christ? No. Does God meet us in our doubts, giving us grace along the way? Yeah. Yeah. Will he use tests and various trials of various kinds in your life as the essential ingredient for transforming doubt into faith? Yep, he's gonna do it. I've got this friend who uh, gave me some sort of loving advice. She's a uh, sports physical therapist. So she said, Chris, um, she took me aside. She said, Chris, you know, you need to think about your long-term health. uh, for the next 20 years because you need to really, as a smaller cyclist type, you need to think about your bone density because your bone density in the next 20 years is gonna to start to decline. I said, oh, well, that's not encouraging. So how, how, would, I, um, how, 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 would, how would I go about improving uh, this bone density issue that I'm going to encounter? She said, well, you need to start lifting heavy things. I said, oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound very great because I just like to pedal my bike around. It doesn't sound very good to me if I'm looking like really honest with you. But if we're honest with ourselves it, when it comes to our spiritual life, that tests and doing hard things and being put through hard things in our lives, that doesn't sound very good either, does it? But it's the essential ingredient in transforming your doubts to faith. This is why God puts us in situations and circumstances that it seems impossible for us to overcome. This is why God allows us to struggle in recurring sin. He could have made you perfect upon belief in Jesus Christ, right? But he didn't by his grace so that we would know uh, that that we have a savior that we need to cling on to. This is why he would allow us to continue in various weaknesses of your life, knowing that his grace is sufficient for you. And this is why we should count it all, all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds, See, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 says, right? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because the things that are seen are uh, temporal, but the things that are unseen, those are the things that are eternal. Well, Gideon moved from doubt to faith. Um, And he ultimately, how he did that was, was putting his faith into action, okay? He put his faith into action. Let's see how, how Gideon did that. Well, Gideon, if you read on, I'll just kind of narrate the story for you. Um, Gideon divided his, his little 300 man micro army into uh, thirds, 100, 100, 100, three companies. And he said, okay, here's everybody, you're gonna get a trumpet, you're gonna get a clay jar, and you're gonna get a, a, uh, a torch. And here's what I'd like you to do, that um, we're all gonna blow the trumpets We're going to smash the jars, we're going to break the jars, and then we're going to shout, for the Lord and for Gideon, all right? Look at uh, verse 19 now, Judges 7, 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed their jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. And they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And then jumping to verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And just like that, Gideon puts his faith into action. The battle's won. God ensures the victory and saved his people as he said he would and like only he could. At some point, Gideon had to come to terms um, with his own weakness, right? The fact that he had, all he had was 300 dudes. He had some trumpets. He had some jars. He had some torches. Lord, this is all I've got. All right. I don't have might. I don't have power. I only have your spirit. And I wonder about you and us, if we took some time to think about maybe the limited things that we have, right? The places that we're weak, where we could Take this faith and, and put it into action. I thought of a few things that are not exhaustive by any stretch, but I thought I'd share. You know, what if, what if we invited a neighbor to coffee or dinner or lunch or something, just to start sharing relationship? What if, for some of us, we um, reconciled a, a relationship or, or pursued peacemaking? Uh, for someone in our life where there's a, a, a relationship that has been broken. Maybe for some of us parents that we need to start reading the storybook Bible to our kids um, on, a, on a more regular basis in the morning or in the evening. Maybe for some of us, as Amanda was saying uh, earlier, that we would commit to, to um, partnering with Grace and giving financially um, to support the ministry here and abroad. I thought of this, that, that, that maybe for some of you, there's like been a, a book that's been on your mind, not to read, but to write. And, and you, would, you would just start doing it. And maybe for some of us, we just need to start to pray. Not in our head, but out loud, out loud. Whatever that is. I mean, it could be a hundred other things for you, but we trust that the Lord would multiply it, right? Lord, I've only got a, a few loaves and a couple fish. But you've got to come through, you've got to multiply this thing. Pastor Bob and I were talking uh, earlier this week uh, about this, this message, and, and he reminded me because his folks were part of the Gideon's uh, ministry. Uh, the Gideon's ministry, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's committed to, to two really simple things. I mean, we're talking about a loaf and a fish here. Sharing their faith personally with other people, and then handing out copies of God, God's word. That's why if you go into a hotel and you look in the nightstand, there's a Bible there. It says Gideon's on the side. And they took their name from this passage, from Gideon, all right? And I, I just got to imagining, like the people who have committed themselves to these two simple things, there had to be a point where they were discouraged in it or doubted that, that it was really making a difference, right? Like, I, I don't know if just sharing my faith and handing out, Bibles is making a difference. But the Gideon ministers have put their faith into action for 120 years. And over those 120 years, and because of the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things that they couldn't see as described in in Hebrews 11.1 that we read earlier, more than 2 billion, with a B, billion Bibles have been handed out since the start of the Gideon's ministry. And it, it's crazy to think that the founders of the Gideon's ministry, um, John Nicholson and Samuel Hill, ever even imagined that that would happen when they started their ministry in 1899. This all reminds me, I think, of, of the end of, of Hebrews 11 that we didn't read, um, where it says that guys like Gideon, in Judges 6 through 8, though commended for their faith, being made strong out of weakness they didn't receive what was promised in their lifetime, that they were trusting in something that they couldn't see. But we can see that God gave us a savior who died and rose again, defeating our ultimate enemy of sin and death, sending God's literal presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus Christ is our sign that stands forever and he's the one who started each of our faith. He's the author of our faith and he's gonna be the one who finish it. He's the one who's going to bring it into perfection as well. Praise God for that, amen? Yeah, join me in prayer as we run to the Lord this morning. Thank you, God, that we um, see these instances of doubt in your word because it. it it's a normal human experience. And thank you that by your grace, you meet us in those doubts. Thank you that by your grace, you, you transform them into faith. And thank you that we are able to, by your spirit's power to, to uh, put them into action. We just, uh, just join with the psalmist in Psalm 73 that we have no one to turn to except for you. Our hearts and our, our flesh often fail us. They they give way to doubt. But we're turning to you now as the strength of our heart. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, God, we pray in the name of Jesus, our portion forever. Amen.